0: Hello, we're continuing our study of the Bible book called Romans with Bible teacher Brian today here on Search for Truth Radio. So thanks for joining me and a friendly welcome to you. Brian, in these studies on Paul the Apostle putting the Gospel first, is focusing in his talk today on predestination. That's predestination. It's a wonderful facet of the good news in that we're chosen in Christ Before the foundation of the world, it's difficult for us to take in, but not a problem, of course, to the eternal, all powerful, all knowing God. And here's Brian to lead us into the truth of Scripture.
1: Thanks, John. As we read through the Bible letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in the Church of God at Rome, we've been tracking through the various sections condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. That has taken us to the end of Romans chapter 8. For chapters 9 through 11, we have the heading predestination or election. The escape of the Israelites out of Egypt is one of, if not the, main prophetic symbols in all the Bible when it comes to typifying the ultimate deliverance from personal slavery to guilt, a deliverance that God offers us in and through Jesus his Son. If we're at all familiar with the basic storyline of the Old Testament, then we can conjure up in our minds the standoff between Moses and Pharaoh. This was so much more, as the Bible tells us, than the leader of the enslaved people pitting his wits and will against the leader of their oppressors, with both sides invoking their respective deities. At one point, God addresses Pharaoh, Exodus 9 verse 16, But indeed, he says, for this reason, I have allowed you, Pharaoh, to remain in order to show you my power. That's how involved God was in this event. But let's start further back in history with a woman praying about her difficult pregnancy. Find it in Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger I think we can assume that Rebecca, the woman in question, shared this revelation with her husband. Isaac, however, seemed partial to his eldest, who was an outdoors action figure, a game hunter. He was definitely partial to the food that Esau, his eldest, served him. On the other hand, Rebecca's favourite was Jacob, But even if this was because she remembered God's prediction, she didn't seem to believe God could keep his promise without her using her own cunning to give him some assistance. But we're running ahead. The kids haven't even been born yet. Let's go attend the birth. Genesis 25, verse 24. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob. It does seem that in his early life, Jacob couldn't wait to get his hands on what was his brother's. God had told Rebekah the way things were going to be with her older son serving his younger brother and he'd said this was not based on their respective early years' performance. he decreed this before they were even born, so obviously it was quite independent of anything they'd done. Let the Apostle Paul explain it now, from Romans chapter 9. He's talking about God's purposes with Israel. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. And in case we should think this is an isolated case, as opposed to something illustrating a divine principle, Paul adds our earlier example of the Pharaoh at the time of the Exodus. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you. There's something profound here. We're being allowed some insight into the sovereign workings of God. In this latest Bible example of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, if we were to check back to the book of Exodus and the story of how he refused to give the Israelites their freedom, we'd find that we sometimes read of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And at other times, it's said to be God who's hardening his heart, which raises the potential conflict in our minds between divine sovereignty on the one hand and human responsibility on the other. How can we have a real choice if God has already chosen what's going to happen? Perhaps we could try an analogy here, even with our modern scientific understanding, In the natural realm, there are other things we just can't seem to reconcile. Take the nature of light, for example. There's real evidence that light exists as light waves. Some experiments show it to behave in a way comparable to, say, water waves. But at the same time, there's just as good evidence to show that light and its energy come in little packets, more like particles, The only way we can live with that state of affairs in the natural world is by inventing a name for it. An antinomy describes a situation where we have two things which to us are contradictory and yet there's good evidence for both. In a similar way, the Bible most definitely teaches both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But we tend to shy away from things that are difficult for us to understand like when it comes to God's involvement in making things happen. And so it's tempting to try to respond to this by saying, oh well, God knows in advance what's going to happen, and so he can tell us in advance what the future holds. But that doesn't satisfy the language God uses here. Listen to this inspired commentary as Paul continues, Romans 9 verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing moulded will not say to the moulder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honourable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. In any case, when the Bible speaks of God knowing the future, the word means to know with approval. It's not a passive knowledge, nor can it be where God is concerned. The question was asked there, who resists his will? In terms of our salvation and eternal destiny, the Bible would fully support that no more than God wills to be saved will be saved, but equally no fewer than the whosoever wills will be saved. In other words, no fewer than all who willingly come to Christ for salvation will be saved, but equally no more than those whom the Father draws to his Son will be saved. It's not something based on any good in us. As simply foreseen by God. God's sovereignty includes the fact that Christ's death was effective for all those for whom it was intended to be effective. These receive mercy, while all others receive justice, there being no injustice with God. So the story of Pharaoh and the Exodus has plunged us into deep water. But Paul, by the Spirit of God, has anticipated in that passage from Romans chapter 9 all the questions that we want to ask too. For example, if it comes down to the will of God operating in our lives, how come God can still find fault with us? Well, if we stay close to the language of the Bible, and in a subject like this we really have to, then we'd have to say that being of a depraved mind and being dead in sins, we had no ability of our own to come to Christ for salvation. So it had to be God's work. But at the same time, we were held responsible. After all, didn't Christ describe unbelieving Jews of his day as being like chicks that wouldn't come to the mother hen? He was holding them accountable, responsible for their response we then find an almost irresistible urge to cry out, but surely that's not fair. We have no ability, but God still holds us responsible. And it's good that we feel like this, for again Paul by the Spirit anticipates exactly that kind of reaction, which reassures us that we must be on the right lines after all. And this is where Paul parks the debate, for it's ridiculous to think of the mere clay of humanity criticizing the divine potter. But does that mean God is responsible for people going to a lost eternity? Not at all. There can be no injustice with God. All the clay was spoiled, but that wasn't the potter's fault, and he certainly has the right over the clay to do with some spoilt part of it, something which that part deserves no more than the rest. This impressive teaching of God's sovereignty provides us with the last word in complete assurance that once saved, we can never be lost again.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's study talk and I'd like to remind you all that there's a transcript book of all the talks in this series which would be helpful if you want to pursue study in detail. So please let me remind you of how you can freely receive a copy. Firstly, it's available online. Now you can obtain it by downloading it from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Or you can write to us and request a hard copy book. Just ask for the title, "Putting the Gospel First. and don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. And you can use email or the post. And here's our address: Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, S N four eight D Y. UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now you may be interested to know that if you go to the website I just mentioned, that's at churchesofgod.info forward slash media, you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off air, that is by audio podcast or MP3 versions. So why not have a go and see what you can find to enjoy. Now, I'm delighted to have had the privilege of your company today. Many thanks for giving us your time. Next week, God willing, we have part seven in this eight-part series and Brian's going to study the subject of transformation. That's transformation of us, Christians, of course. And it's found in Paul's letter to the Romans. So do join me if you can, same time next week, But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.